there are uh, there are a lot of good things in the life of our church today that it's easy for us to, to maybe be distracted or excited or, or nervous or just worry about things. Uh, but we have an opportunity in front of us, so let's stop and let's pray and let's enjoy God's word together. Dearly Father, thank you for being a good and sovereign God. Thank you for caring and, and controlling each of our lives and the life of this church with love. You continue to bless us undeservedly. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be in our hearts and in this place this morning. May it be on my lips. May he be on my lips and in my words. God, may we trust you with our lives together, and may we praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Do you remember the first time in your life that you were afraid of a thunderstorm? I do. I was about six years old, I think. For the sake of the story, I was six years old. And uh, I was playing in the backyard of my home. I lived at a parsonage in Indiana. And playing in the backyard, my, my mom was working in the garden, my dad was mowing, I do remember that vividly. And it's not like Florida when a storm rolls in the Midwest. So in Florida, there's this, this gradual like intensification of humidity until it drops buckets of rain down on your head, right? Well, that doesn't happen in Indiana. You see this front of cloud coming. And you see this low front and this high front hitting in these dark clouds. And on the horizon, there were dark, ominous clouds. But not just that, that day. On this day, there was a line above the horizon. And you could see dark, gray, blue clouds. And below it were green, ugly sky, ugly sky. And if you know, if you're from the Midwest, that's bad news, right? That, that's, that's the recipe for a tornado. And so when I saw that as a young kid, and in the first time knowing the fear of that, I, I jumped up, I stopped playing, put the matchbox cars down, and I yelled to my parents, like, we got to go inside. Well, they didn't come. <laughs> but I did. I gave up on them. They weren't going to make it. And I went to the basement of my house, and I closed the pantry door. I turned on the weather radio, which is a scary voice in itself, and I listened as the storm passed. And I sought what I thought was safety and security from the storm, which was a pantry in the basement of a church parsonage. And that's what we all crave, isn't it? We look for safety. In fact, our society craves safety. We have to have it. We've actually reached the point in society where we demand it. We just can't accept that a tornado would rip through a town. We can't accept that a hurricane would destroy a home. We can't accept that evil men or women would do evil things. We have to have control over it. We believe we should be able to predict, prevent, and avoid any calamity. We, sh we believe we should be able to make ourselves safe. In fact, there's an entire industry built around this. I, I read a Grandview Research uh, article was 120 pages, did not read all of it. Uh, and it said that, you know, in 2018, there was roughly $300 billion spent on safety, but they were anticipating that to go up to $800 billion in the next five years for things like um, all of the terrorist attack, all of the weather concerns, things, 
things like cybersecurity issues and, and identity theft, things like infrastructure, you know, even Florida Power and Light, that people can hack that, that there's all this evil uncertainty and calamity in the world, natural man-made, that we spend billions and billions of dollars on that. And this report did not include, it included government's infrastructure. It didn't include a single penny spent on what every government in the world spends the most money on, foreign defense. We spend trillions and trillions of dollars to try to make ourselves safe. It's a natural and human thing. However, ultimately, the answer and source where we might find current and a special eternal safety can only be found in God's word. So what does scripture say about safety? Can we find it? Where can it be found? Well, let's look at Psalm 46 together. If you would, please turn in your copy of God's word. As you turn there, I do want to give you a little context of, of Psalm 46. This is similar to Psalm 42, 42, 43, which we considered last week. This is a psalm of the sons of Korah. Who were the sons of Korah? They were, just to keep it simple, the really good singers of Israel. They were given either the very difficult or majestic pieces and instructed to sing it well for the nation. Uh, similar to, you'll see some overlap to the lament that we considered last week, but this isn't a lament. Uh, you also see a musical term in this that's called Alamoth. Uh, both Spurgeon and Luther and a bunch of other commentators thought that this actually meant that this psalm was to be sung by sopranos. It's kind of interesting. When you, when you read this, you understand the content of it. It kind of made me think of Handel's Messiah. Anyone ever heard Handel's Messiah sung? Very high, majestic, very big, very loud. That's what was meant to be done here. It's divided into three stanzas and two refrains. That may make you happy because guess what? Most American songs have three stanzas and two refrains. It's how we like them. And uh, maybe that's why we're attracted to this song. Uh, I mentioned Luther. Uh, throughout 500 years of church history, this has been called Luther's Psalm. He actually wrote a hymn about this psalm. And uh, it's because he would actually, in the calamity and all of the chaos of, of really having to battle against the Catholic Church and the Reformation, of having his life threatened, he would gather his loved ones around him and said, friends, let's sing the 46th Psalm. And that's how he found a source of encouragement. So let's read together why it was meaningful to him, but it's especially read what we can learn about our safety today. Verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will keep her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, his he utters his voice, the earth melts. The God of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. 
Well, in the time we have this morning, I want us to see that this is a psalm that is clearly about God. If you look in verse 1, if you look in verses 4 through 8, you'll see ascriptions to who God is. And in fact, if you look at verse 10, you're going to directly hear from God himself speaking to all of his creation. And as it builds to a refrain of praise to this God from the psalmist of the nation of Israel, I, I want it to build in us a refrain and application. And I want us to look at each stanza and see three things. Number one, God secures and saves. Number two, God supplies and sustains. And number three, God succeeds. Therefore, we will stop and submit. Well, let's begin by considering God's presence secures and saves. God's presence secures and saves his people. This psalm was written in the midst of a crisis. You can read it clearly. The world in which this psalm, psalmist sees is crumbling around him. And he's going to mention that, but that's not where he starts. He doesn't start there. Where does he start? He says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The psalmist focuses on God. The verse tells us that God is a refuge for his people. Notice the word, our our God is our refuge. He's ours. Isn't that amazing this morning? But what, what is a refuge? It's not really a word we think of in American society very often, is it? We don't, we don't seek refuges very often. You know, it's basically a shelter, kind of like that basement for me. It's a trust. It's a haven. It's a defense against the chaos surrounding Honestly, as I prepared this week, I kept thinking of, of a fortress carved into the side of a rock, and I couldn't help but think of Lord of the Rings, for any of you fans out there. Um, perhaps you've read the books, or like me, you at least saw the movies. And you, you hear the term Helm's Deep. It's this amazing fortress carved in the side of a mountain that you read in the middle of the book or you, you see in the Two Towers movie. And it gave them this advantage of being incredibly outnumbered because they had this amazing cleft of a rock fortress that could protect them. And that's, that's what we see here. But we see more. God is more for the psalmist. He also says that God is his strength. Now, does this mean that God is strengthening the psalmist? Well, it's true in Scripture, isn't it? God does give us strength. God causes us to be courageous to be bold to to do what is right it's a true thing but that's not really what i think the psalmist is talking about here what he's talking about here is that god is all strength that he's confessing that this is the all-powerful one that he is in possession of complete strength and power well, we call this theologically, when we think about the Bible, we call this omnipotence, that God is all-powerful. And that may be a theological word that we, we quickly go, oh yeah, God's all-powerful. But that is something that's drawing the attention of this psalmist today, and it's worth us to consider. God has all the power. God has all the strength. And the psalmist goes on. He says that not only 
is he all-powerful? That he is a present help in time of trouble. Well, this word present, it's easy for us to think he's there, and that's exactly what it means, right? He's there, which is a great thing. But in the Hebrew, it has a a little bit more. It has a connotation of him being a proven help, that he's proven himself helpful, and he's there. Isn't that a great word that we don't really have? But isn't that awesome? Isn't that what you want in the midst of chaos? You want somebody that's proven to be helpful and with you. And that's what the psalmist says he has. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's similar to what we read in Psalm 23, too, about him being present. You remember in Psalm 23, he, he, the psalm, psalm of David, he's talking about God in the first psalm. Like, he lays me down, green pastures, still waters. But it, when he enters the valley of the shadow of death, he stops talking about God. And he starts talking to God. He says, and that's, that's what the psalmist is, is, is alluding to. That the presence of God in the chaos and in the, in the trouble is, is special. It's meaningful. It's personal. And that's something that the psalmist is saying. And, and we see this declaration of, of the psalmist that God is a security for him. And it is his trust and strength and power. But Let's look at God is all-powerful, which we need to stop and first focus on, but then the psalmist is also honest about his circumstances, isn't he? Let's look at verses 2 and 3. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. What is happening here? Well, the most secure things that the psalmist can think of, mountains, ocean, the most powerful, the most beautiful, the most majestic, the rocks, they are standing in uncertainty. They're teetering, they're falling, they're failing. Is this hyperbole? Is this an exaggeration of the psalmist? It might be when this was written do we know if the mountains were falling and the sea was swelling? I, I don't know. I mean, there were storms like that, at that in that part of the world. There were earthquakes that fell on Israel and fell on the Middle East in those times. It could be there certainly, if you think about this in terms of human power, were many nations and armies that were trying to destroy the people of God. And they constantly were encroaching around the promised land and seeking and ultimately did take the the Israelites into exile. And that was ever present. And that was something that the psalmist was was recognizing. That, That ultimately we know that all the things we put our confidence in apart from God in this world will fall and collapse. That's a certainty that the psalmist is recognizing, and he's honest about it. He took account for this. I, I, Mark Dever says this about this thought. He says, it's important that we recognize and don't get, uh, it's important that we recognize that we don't get to such security in God by ignoring our circumstances. That is the way some preachers, I fear, are preaching this morning. He says that they're saying to confess and claim that there isn't trouble. And then because of that, you can just ignore it. That you just need more faith. You need to, you need to claim, name it and claim it. And then walk in confidence. 
But that's not what we find here at all. Psalmist doesn't ignore the troubles. He doesn't ignore the presence. And he doesn't ignore the troubles. And he doesn't also ignore the presence of God. He's honest about both. That's good for us to think about this morning. Luke Duncan goes further. He says, this is a picture of the challenges that are facing the people of God. It's a picture of the cataclysmic earthquake in which the whole world is unmade. The stable mountains are falling into a sea. The chaotic seas are swirling and foaming and covering the earth. It's a picture of Genesis 1 reversed. That God made land. He made sea. He gave it order. He divided it. He did it perfectly. He said it was good. And here, all that's being undone. So it's a picture of the challenges facing God's people. And by showing us this picture, the psalmist is reminding us of God's power, God's power to protect us against anything. This is the point, Lig Duncan says. God can be trusted when the whole world goes crazy. God can be trusted when the whole world goes crazy. And that's what leads the psalmist to a conviction. So he's focused on God. He's then compared it to his circumstances. And he comes away with a conviction where he says, therefore, we will not fear. When I stop and compare the power of God, who is present in my life, the most powerful things that I can see, that I can touch, that I know, and even consider me seeing their destruction, them failing, I don't need to fear. The all-powerful God is with me. He is my security. He's my safety. Can you say that this morning? Are you feeling the weight of the chaos in the world around you this morning? Is it distracting you? Is it giving you fear? Is it giving you anxiety? When you think about the attacks on society, when you think as a Christian, the increasing hostility towards your faith, when you see the breaking points of our culture and our economy right now, when you see strengthening enemies in the globe around us, the possibility of war, of nuclear mass destruction, it's easy to get wrapped in fear, isn't it? But listen to the psalmist this morning. You have an all-powerful God who is sovereign over every event in this world, and he is present with you. And he takes particular interest in what occurs in your life. Have you stopped and considered that this morning? Do you sit in awe of it? Do you think about it? The oceans, you can go see the ocean. I think it's a mile that way, right? With all its power, its ability to blow storms, wind, it will not last. But the power of God will. Do not fear, Christian. I, I vividly remember a day in my life. I was 22 years old. It was September 12th, 2001. I remember walking to work that day as a young Capitol Hill staffer. The day before, as we all know, was a day that changed the world that we knew. And particularly someone who had just graduated a few months prior, I had grown up with confidence in what I thought the world was going to be like, what I thought it was going to be like for me to be an adult making my way through it, the confidences I had. And all that was stripped away while I watched the Pentagon burning in the background and saw the towers on the TV. And I remember the next day, 
And I remember processing this distinctly in my life, and I will confess I do not do this every day, but that day I did. That that day I could remember, I don't have anything to be secure in. This is, I'm walking to a place where I, I didn't even know if there'd be another attack. In, in fact, the day before, I was in the basement of the Capitol building, and had not there been the sovereignty of God and brave men on Flight 93, I may not be here today. And by that next morning, I was painfully aware of that. But we didn't know if there'd be more. But what I remember is walking to work and just processing God is in control of my life. By his grace, I was a believer. And I can tell you as I walked through those doors and it was dead silent, you could see either hope or fear in people's eyes in like no other day of my life. And I could see people who knew God because it's all they Have you experienced the peace of God in the contrast of upheaval of the world around you? If you're a Christian, you can. Don't fear. If you're not this morning, then please keep listening. Listen to where the psalmist continues. We see, a story, we see a, an image of true security here. Well, we see that God uh, secures and saves his people, but we also see that God's presence supplies and sustains his people. God's presence supplies and sustains his people. The text tells us in verse 4, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Boy, that is beautiful, isn't it? That is such an amazing, it's poetry, in, in this image of a river whose streams make glad the city of, our, of God. As I studied this week, I, I, every commentary that I, that I read really drew attention to this idea of a river in the ancient world. That if you were a city who just did not have a strong river running through you, you were very vulnerable. Because an army could invade, and they didn't really have to come with their armies and, and sack you. They could just go upstream cut off your water supply or contaminate it, and eventually what would happen? Even if you were in a fortress of Helm's Deep and you had no water, you would have to eventually leave that fortification because we all need water. <laughs> got to have it. Maybe not as much as we've had the last three days in rain, but we've got to have water constantly. On a contrast, a strong city had a big river running right through the middle of it under the walls of the fortress that could provide sanitation, that could provide drinking supply, that could provide transportation. And those cities were strong. Ironically, at this time, Jerusalem was not that city. And there's some sense here that the psalmist may be encouraging us to look back to the Garden of Eden where there were strong rivers running through where the presence of God was evident and looking forward to Zion. Where we actually hear as New Testament Christians, we know that there's a river that runs through Zion, the ultimate city of God, and it comes directly from the altar of God. And that we have, we have that hope. Well, all that to say this, God provides the most important things to sustain and supply his people in difficult times, and especially at times when they're threatened. I stopped this week to reflect on our church. 
I can't help but give God praise for how he continues to supply and sustain this local and very imperfect church. The challenges over the last nine years that, I, that, that I've been here, that my family's been here, they've been real. They've been daunting and at times discouraging. However, God has supplied us a river. He continues to give us what is good. Let's praise him for that today. And what is this river? Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. It is God himself. Listen to what Erskine says. Repeat of what I just said. What is the river that makes glad the city of God? Answer, God himself is the river. Is it in the following verse, God is in the midst of her. Number one, God the Father is the river. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jeremiah 2. God the Son is the river, the fountain of salvation. In that day there will be a fountain open to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanliness. Zechariah 13. God the Spirit is the river. He that believeth on me, as the scriptures have said, out of, the bow, out of his belly shall flow living water. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water I shall give him shall be of the well of water, springing up into everlasting life. John 7. Where are the streams of this river? Answer. Or, or what are the streams of this river? They are the perfections of God. The fullness of Christ. The operation of the Holy Spirit. And these running in the channel of the covenant of promise. Friends, we have a triune God in the midst of us. He will supply and he will sustain and he will defend us against very real and encroaching enemies. Because he is in our midst, we have the Almighty One. We will not be moved. He has all the power. And he's giving us what is good. We see in verse 6, God will help when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. This is looking forward. There's coming a day, even as the governments around us right now are jockeying for power, even as we stand thinking about the vanities of our day, thinking about all the things we're consumed with, the God who spoke things into order will speak again. And the earth will tremble and melt. Kingdoms will be no more. All except those who found refuge in God. They will be helped now by a river that will make you glad. And they will not be moved in that day. Friend, do you see that God through his word? And his presence as sustaining you and supplying you. Are you glad for the water that he's given you? Or are you doubting its goodness? Its power to help you. And therefore its supplier. Are you drinking from the realization that if you're a Christian this morning, the very powerful God that can speak the world in and out of existence is present with you regardless of whatever your circumstances are today? Think about that. You may be overwhelmed. You may be discouraged. Do you know that you have a river in God himself? Church, First Baptist of Boynton Beach, do you recognize that you are a city who should be glad this morning? 
that you have a river who supplies and sustains you, more so you have a God who will defend you. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But be encouraged this morning. Well, we see that we, we've seen this song, we see that the presence of God saves and secures. The presence of God supplies and sustains. We see that God's presence succeeds and silences all. God's presence succeeds and silences all. God will succeed for his people. God will succeed over all people. Read verses 8 with me and 9. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He will make wars, or he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. The power that this world has to offer will be utterly and completely destroyed by the works of God. By the very one who made this world, he will take action against this world and especially those who oppose him. The psalmist is basically saying, friends, look, come see. Consider God. He has won in the past. He's present with us now. But realize, he wins. God wins. And ultimately, he's the only one who wins. God will make war cease, not us. God is the one who can destroy our enemies, God, not us. His, God will avenge his enemies. He'll annihilate them. He will do this. All will be silenced. I, I tried to think of, it's helpful sometimes when you're preaching to have a story, to have an analogy. I, I love to try to think about that sometimes. I failed this week. I thought of sports analogies, which are probably my go-to. I thought of my favorite teams, undefeated teams. Even Indiana Hoosiers have a, a, a famous team. I thought about them. It didn't work. I thought about Vince Lombardi and those Packers teams. In fact, Vince Lombardi says what? He says, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. And I thought about them, and I kept thinking, well, maybe I could draw this in, this powerful team. It was bad. Because I kept thinking about these men that are either dead or hobbling around on one knee. And so I thought about, well, maybe, maybe armies. Maybe if I think about Rome or Napoleon. Maybe if I think about even the allies in World War II or, or great generals. Washington, Grant, MacArthur, Patton. British Armada. Couldn't think of anything. Because I couldn't help but think. They're, they're all dead. Or... Their empires have fallen, or in the case of ours, teetering. They don't work. But I think that's it. That's the point the psalmist is making. No power compares to him. He is the only lasting, strong rock that can save, sustain, and secure victory. He wins with no help needed. Though we struggle against our ancient foe, it's a real struggle. We're in it now. We don't need to fear. Luther says this, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. God will utter one word. It is done. Friend, consider that this morning. We've sung his name. We prayed to him. Perhaps you were in Sunday school. 
we spent time but stop and consider with awe who we're talking to, who we're worshiping this morning. Stand in silence in that. Do you take time to reflect on his character? Such as his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his sovereignty. That is what we want to do every Sunday morning, whether it be in Sunday school, whether it be in this room, whether you're part of a, a small group, whether you're part of a women's group, a men's group, a Bible study. We want to think rightly about how big and how powerful and how strong our God is. And then think of our circumstances in light of that. But knowing with the hope that ultimately he wins and we stand before him. That takes time. Please take time this morning. Take time to think with awe and reverence and a little bit of, I, I don't even know how to fathom God. Think in that space. That's what the psalmist is doing. He's taking the most powerful things that he can see and think of, and he's like, they don't hold up to the God that wins. Well, that begs the question, what is the right response when we think of this almighty God? The answer is here, I think, in verse 10, and the response of us should be to stop and then submit to God almighty. Stop and submit to God almighty. Verse 10 says, be still. And know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So often we see verse 10 on greeting cards. We, we get it in that kind of the daily encouragement on the text messages maybe. There's a place for that. And in some sense that may be true. Because he's speaking to his children with that encouragement. But I, I think... Dever and others are right to say that's probably not the sentiment of this psalmist. There is the truth. Please be still, be encouraged. God is present. But the psalmist here is speaking to, God is speaking to all of humankind. And he's saying, stop it. Be quiet. It's almost like a parent who's reaching a point of frustration with an unruly child. Except the difference, I've, I've said that to my children, uh, that God's righteous here, and maybe sometimes I'm just annoyed or impatient. But God is not that. God's saying, stop! God is telling the nations and the earth that he who made them, who controls them, who judges them, and who will destroy them, that they stand in his holy and powerful presence. He will be. He will be. It's certain. God says, I will be exalted among the nations. I over every living creature on this earth. Friends, this is the great reality that we live in this morning. What, what, whatever you see, whatever you worry about with the chaos around you and the, and the clamoring, mountains, oceans, armies, war, whatever it is. This is a greater reality. The God who made and will destroy everything, we stand in his presence. We should stop. Or we will be stopped. No matter, it's going to happen, and it will be for his glory. Every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, I don't want to end there, and the psalm doesn't end there. There's a hope for us this morning. I think the hope is that safety can be found. Safety can be found only in the almighty covenant-keeping God of grace. Let's look at this refrain before we pray. Let's break it down. The Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts, the word we see, and it actually in Hebrew is Yahweh Sabaoth. Yahweh, we've considered a lot, haven't we? Yahweh means this covenant-keeping God of, of, of Exodus 3, where the burning bush, he's holy, I am that I am, I'm eternal, but he's also, the, it's the covenant name of God, it's his signature. That all-powerful God, Sabaoth, so now an adjective to it. And I, I thought for the longest time, Sabaoth was somebody just misspelling Sabbath or something. Oh, God of peace. And that's not it at all. This is God, the commander-in-chief of the armies of heaven. That's what Sabaoth means. The commander-in-chief of the armies of heaven. That's the God that is with us. That's the God that knows you and loves you. And what does it mean that he's with us? Well, we have a word for that, don't we? Emmanuel. That God Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, came to earth to be, who was God Almighty, to give us access by his death to God Almighty. And he was judged for our sin in our place. This is God Almighty. He's with us. But it isn't just this Lord Sabaoth, this, this armies of heaven's commander. It's true. But it also says the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Why Jacob? Why not Moses? Why not Abraham? Why not Elijah? Why Jacob? Jacob, if you move past like childhood Sunday school, you realize pretty quickly like, man, Jacob isn't the greatest guy, is he? He was bad. He wasn't anything that should be of value. He was the second born. In fact, he spent most of his life growing up and conniving and fooling and stealing the portion and then hiding. In fact, when he was hiding, that's when God actually came to him and gave him a covenant promise. He didn't deserve a thing. But yet, God's signature is the God of Jacob here. And listen to what Pink says. God took Jacob as the one through whom we, he could best show forth his grace and power. What more suited for the display of his grace than the chief of sinners? Whom shall he take up to exhibit his power but the one who by nature is most unattractive? And the God of Jacob is our refuge. He is the sovereign. He's the God of sovereign election, the God of matchless grace, the God of infinite patience, the God of transforming power. This is the one with whom we have to do. Those of us who have already passed from death into life already know something of this wondrous grace and patience. May we experience it more and more with this transforming power. If you're a believer, be encouraged this morning. We can know his power now and we stand against the powers and chaos of this world because he is our safety. He is our refuge. Enjoy his presence this morning. Stop before him and consider his glory. Don't find safety in anything else this morning.
be encouraged. If you don't know this God Almighty and you're seeking safety in anything else, please know all those things will fail. All will be destroyed by the very word of God. Stop. Stop before him. Please submit to him. When you stand before God's almighty power and holiness, it causes us to see ourselves for what we are. Rebels, sinners, fools, repent this morning. Repent of your sin while you can before you and all of earth will be silenced. Repent and believe. Believe in a God of grace that would send his own son. God, Emmanuel, God with us. To die for our sins and to save and secure your life and eternity. And God sustains you now and supplies your need. And God will succeed. He will win. And we can know him now. A mighty fortress is our God. Is he yours this morning? Let's pray that is true. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your almighty power. We stand before you in reverence and awe. May we stop. May we repent. May we realize that you are here. God, may we believe in Emmanuel, the very God with us who died in our place, that we can know you and enjoy you and that we do not need to fear. We will not be moved because you will win. God, may we have that confidence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.